Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation, deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. I want to introduce myself first before I start speaking in my original language. The original language here of the land Minnesota, a land of misty and foggy waters. I said hello my relatives. They call me Broken Leg. But my English name is Thorn LaPointe. It's an honor to be here today, and it's an honor to be here in one heart and one mind as a community with all of you. I called you my relatives because my grandfather used to say that we can have a community, but if there's no relatedness, there is no community. So this is one of the beliefs I come here today with. It is a teaching that we as indigenous peoples find our founders and our community on. This morning I found myself thinking of this work that we do. You see, my family, we work in the area of human rights. We work in our indigenous communities, finding many ways to uplift and empower our people. But this morning I found myself thinking of where a lot of this has started for us in our family legacy. I start thinking of our ancestors. I start thinking of our predecessors. I remember the work and the words that they had left for their future generations. And I asked myself, where did this work start for our family? I thought of my grandfather, my great, great, great-grandfather, Miwathanihanska, Tall Mandan, who was a signer of the 1851 and 1868 Treaty of Fort Laramie, a treaty between two nations, my nation, the Lakota Nation, and the United States. That is where our fight for human rights began. I thought of our predecessors in the 1970s, when indigenous diplomacy during that time broke down, when it was hard to be an American Indian, when it was illegal for us to practice our spiritual ways of life until 1978, they stood up. And in many ways, they used their voices to let the world know that we are still here. They even kicked open the doors nationally and internationally for our people. It had me thinking of a story during that time is when they kicked open the doors internationally for us to make our case before the world court, to make our case in the United Nations. There was a story I remember of one of our spiritual leaders of that time during the American Indian movement but a time when our Lakota elders told our people to go to the United Nations. And in that story, they said, they were telling us, 
In 1970s, when we first went to Geneva, to the UN, to make our case, to let them know who we were as indigenous peoples, our history, and what we're fighting for today, our human rights, our rights to sovereignty, our very right to life. He said it was a hard time. He said that there was a lot being done to stop us from speaking, from interrupting us at the United Nations in Geneva. And he said, it started to descend into chaos because a lot of the politics start to reassert itself there that we've seen in the States. And a lot of our young men, a lot of the young warriors start to get angry and said, we need as much time as possible. But these states are trying to interrupt and take our time here. We need to make our case before the world. And as it began to descend more into chaos and anger, there was a spiritual leader of that time named Philip Deere. And he began to speak. And when he began to speak in that room, everyone went quiet. Indigenous peoples, our allies, NGOs, and state rep representatives. And he said, pointed at the young men who were getting angry, who were speaking loudly. He said, you remind me of a ceremony. He said, tomorrow, we're going to select five of you to go and speak before the world on the behalf of your respective communities and indigenous peoples. He said, but you remind me of a ceremony because where I'm from, my homelands, he said, there's a ceremony we do. And in this ceremony, we select five young men to light a fire. And each of them, when they light this fire, the ceremony begins and the people will come. But he said, but they must light it with a sacred flint. They must try to spark it. One at a time, they go around this fire. One at a time, they strike the flint. And they try to spark this fire. So not all will start this fire only one, and said, so around they go to try to call the people. And eventually, when that fire is struck, our people will come into a better place. He said, so tomorrow, there will be five of you that will go before the world to make the case for justice. One at a time, each of you will go and you would speak and you will try to spark something for indigenous peoples around the world. We may not be many, but we represent the dreams of millions of peoples, he said. He said, one at a time, you'll go down the line, and we're counting on one of you to spark something. One at a time, you will take your shot. And he said, I don't know what you will say, but I promise you. He said, I promise you that one of you will spark that fire tomorrow. There will be a better tomorrow. The indigenous peoples will come. And indeed, our predecessors did spark that fire. A better tomorrow did come. We are in the United Nations now. We have the Declaration of Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Indigenous Peoples is now a household name. It wasn't at that time, but they made it so. Those young men got up and gave everything they had. They gave a testimony before the world, and they did spark that fire. And now as the next generation, I believe we could do no less 
I always tell our youth that you're not the leaders of tomorrow, you're the leaders of today. So with that, at this time, my relatives, this is a time in our way we call Wachekia. It is time we come of one heart and one mind and to pray as a community. But here in your house of prayer, this is a call to worship. Oh, it's a wopilatanka, immeasurable thanks for listening. It is my great joy to welcome the LaPointe family this morning. Um, actually, LaMoyne and Nancy and Joaquin, will you guys join me up here on the, on the chancel? This family has a long history of activism. You heard some of that from Thorne earlier in our call to worship. A long history of working with indigenous youth, women, and the earth. They work to secure land, treaty, constitutional and political rights locally and globally. This family has been instrumental in planning and programming the annual Miniki Wakan um, Water Summit, first held in 2017. I am so grateful for my relationship with, with all of you and really grateful for the ways my thinking about environmental justice and our thinking about environmental justice have been shaped by them and the conversations we've had. And so for our service today, I invited them to just share a bit of who they are and the work that they do. Will you join me in welcoming them once again? My name is Wakian, and our Tiwahe, which means family, comes from Little Crow's Camp, just west of the Rosebud Sioux Reservation. We work together as a Tiwahe, locally, regionally, but also globally. We make relatives with the world community where others may make partnerships or collaboration, we make relatives. And that is our way as Lakota people. We have this belief that we call Wolakota. It gets to the heart of Mother Earth, where we become more like Unchimaka, our grandmother, where we make relatives with all life, all of creation, and our relatives of indigenous peoples, diverse communities, and allies. We were instilled with these original instructions from our predecessors and our ancestors, and our mother and our father who is here with us today. We have sisters and brothers who believe in the Lakota way of life. And the Lakota way of life was passed on for generations. It's the original language, the original culture of the land, the original and sacred natural law that we follow that we seek to translate into modern day systems through our policies, through our values, through the way we convene as a community. As my brother was saying, that is some of the work we do for human rights, but it's also not separate from Unchimaka, the world, the earth, because as indigenous peoples, we do not separate the creator from the creation. We do not draw a line between our life and the life of our lands, our waters. They are one and the same for us going forward. In our time before the United States, in our time here, it's 
since time immemorial. For us, respect for the land was one of the original laws of life. There was a time when that law was written on the hearts and minds of everyone within the human family, we believe. But now, somewhere along the line, we had forgotten that law. And now we need everything written down on papers to remember. We need a lot of words on papers to remember respect for the earth. We need a lot of words on papers to remember that the earth doesn't belong to us, we belong to it. I remember a Cree outer once said, when they were trying to build a dam through their reservation, he said, this will ruin our reservation, it will flood. And they said, well, this is within our right. And he said, the only one in the world on this earth who has the right to build a dam is the beaver. Yeah. I like that story, <laughs> but it's true if you think about it. And that's why we remember the original instructions to the world. And we have to put an end to water pollution. This is why we do this water summit. We need to put an end to water pollution. Our water pollution will put an end to us. Water is a human right, not just the availability or access of it, but also the spiritual relationship we as communities have to it. There was a time when the human family remembered respect for the earth. It's time as a community that we bring it back, this way of life. Each quarter since 2015, we have convened the Mede Makaska Community Conversations. It's important to march for justice, but it is also important to come together in conversation to refine the ideas and innovations of our communities to the point where they are capable and powerful enough of pulling us out of the issues that are currently escalating, that face Mother Earth, that face our waterways. So we convened the Mayday Makoska Community Conversations here at the First Universalist Church because we acknowledge and recognize that there may be many fronts of racial justice, of social justice, of all kinds of justice to choose from, there are many flavors, but there is only one center. And we must come together at that center because now we are at a point in time that Mother Earth is calling on all of her children to meet there, to convene, to come together and conversate, and to begin to emerge new ideas that follow her example. Wherever the water flows, they give life. Wherever the birds are, they sing new medicine into our hearts and souls of creation. And yet we have, as human beings, have a hard time doing that. And so with the Medea Makoska Community Conversations, no matter how many trainings we have in this world, when we come together in conversation, we're putting it into action. And so we can break down barriers that too often we see in our societies, too often that hold us back from coming together. Additionally, we convened the Mnikiwakan World Indigenous Peoples Decade of Water Summit. And on April 18th, we're heading to the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues, themed traditional knowledge, transmission, protection, and generation. We go there as a tiwahe because we are passionate and we love our Lakota way of life. So when we go there, we don't go as politicians. 
We don't go there as academics. We go there as a tiwahe, as relatives, to make relatives with indigenous peoples of Mother Earth. We're going to make a case for water. We're going to make a case for justice on the UN floor. We're going to present to indigenous peoples and make statements. We're going to build partnerships, build relatives together in a pre-summit activity on April 19th with Columbia University in partnership with the Indigenous Peoples' Rights Program, Cultural Survival, and International Indigenous Rights Magazine and Media Source. So we have many partnerships, but it comes down to the work that we are doing for Mother Earth. We do it from our heart, our chante. And so when we fight for her, we are continuously pulling from these original instructions, like Waunshila, compassion. That does not stop at the man-made borders, but extends to all of Mother Earth and creation. We once talked to our relative from New Zealand, and he told us about his effort to fight for one of their sacred riverways. How to? He fought with his Maori people to recognize its legal personality, its personhood. And the same goes for many indigenous peoples here. We live in Nishota, the land of misty and foggy waters. But how do we begin to come together more fluidly, more like water, where there are no borders, where our tributaries continue to converge in a confluence of collective knowledge and wisdom so that we can emerge a better future together? So we invite you to the Midday Makaska Community Conversations. And at this time right now, I'd like to ask if there's anyone that participated in the Midday Makaska Community Conversations to please stand now. We'd like to acknowledge you and your contributions to the future. Wow, opalatanka, immeasurable things. Now I'd like to call my Ina up here to share with you all. This is a really good morning. It's really good to see all of you here today. It makes my heart happy. I am uh, Nancy Bordeaux. And I come from the Sichungu Lakota Reservation in Rosebud, South Dakota. My Lakota name is Tachungalutawi, her red road woman. And it is a hard road to walk, but I walk and I try to honor my name every day that I live. I want to say that I am so happy to be here because I have met many of you and I have made brothers and sisters here. I have had the opportunity to interact. Now I've had the opportunity to come here to your service. And it touched my heart and it made me emotional. I think it brought back memories from when I was growing up and my grandfather was a lay reader and he used to do the services in church. And my grandmother, on the other hand, was traditional, so we went to ceremonies. So I know both ways, and I honor both ways. I walk both ways. I always say I have to have all my bases covered. 
But I want to also say that thank you for allowing us to come here from the bottom of my heart, my heart and my soul, so that we may do our truth and reconciliation here within your community and also within a greater community of Minneapolis and St. Paul. And hearing our truths, I've come to know and I've come to learn that many people here have a big heart and they have compassion and they are looking at something more than racism. They are looking at something bigger than ourselves here as human beings. Our world is in trouble. We are in trouble. We need to come together and pray. This prayer this morning, the silence, the ones we prayed for in the silence, the things we prayed for, that is the powerful thing here to happen because when, that, when we do that, everything that we pray for, that we think about, it happens that way. That is our, also our belief, Wolakota. I've also said that the sisters and brothers that came together with us, I cannot tell that they're a different skin color. All I can see is their heart and soul, and to us, that's Wolakota. When somebody treats other people good, and they love other people and treat them res respectfully. So I want to thank everybody here for inviting us here to speak today. And also, I just wanted to mention a little on the United Nations that United Nations is such that it is. It is a structure, and it's called United Nations, and it brings indigenous people in for, from all over the world. But the United Nations can't do what we can do for ourselves. And we've been doing this work for years in our communities. We've been on the move, creating movements. We've been helping our people to recover from historical trauma. But I also want to thank my husband, my Mihigna Lemoyne Lapointe, for taking us that way, for sharing, for nurturing us, for educating us in that way teaching us how to walk with body, mind, and spirit, and heart, and soul. That is why we are here today. Thank you. Big thanks. I like the uh, opening song, Preparing Our Hearts. I like the words to it. I like what it said. Oh, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, Tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. I loved it because this is what our mother and our grandmother, the earth, had provided us. She has been a sanctuary for us. She's given us all that she has. She's fed us, nourished us. She let us rest on her. When it was cold, she gave us warmth. When it was hot, she gave us shade to cool down. When we were thirsty, she gave us water. Our grandmother, Unchimaka, the earth, has done all of this for us our attachment and our relationship with her is not only emotional, it's spiritual, it's real. 
all that she nourishes, all that lives on our grandmother is our relative. Even now at this time, at this season, at this spring, we hold a ceremony we call welcoming the thunder beings home. That's when we hear the first thunder and we go out and we have a ceremony and we talk with them. We welcome them home. Because when all of life, particularly in this region, hears the thunder, all of life begins to awaken. The grass and the leaves and those little babies and those animals that hibernate, the winged ones all come to life because we're all one. We're all together, we're all related. That's why I love this opening, preparing our hearts, because it's what we do with our relationships with nature, with our grandmother, the earth. We prepare our hearts for each other, just as we prepare our hearts for each other here today. So I'd like to say that much to all of you today, and thank you from our family to you for enabling us to be in your space, your sacred space here, enabling us to do what it is that we can do in order to make our world and our earth a better place. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So here's, here's, what, here's, here's where we're at. In the Christian tradition, today is Palm Sunday, so-called because in this ancient story, Jesus rides into, into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the people who have heard of him and heard of his teaching begin to put down their coats and palm fronds because they understand him in this story to be the king, the prince of peace, someone coming in who will change their lives. It was a sign of deference. I imagine that this feeling was electric, the sense that something was about to change, freedom and liberation were on their way. So here's what I want you to do this morning, just really quickly. Forget for a minute that Jesus is a Jew coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish holiday of Passover, the story of escape from slavery in Egypt. And forget for a moment that in the Passover story, during the final plague, the angel of death passes through the land of Egypt to kill the firstborn in every home. And forget for a minute that in the Passover story, the Jews were instructed to mark their doors with the blood of the lamb. They sacrificed the Passover offering. And because of the mark of the blood on the door, the angel of death passed over their homes, leaving their firstborn unharmed. And forget for a minute that in the Christian story, as later authors shaped what Jesus' death meant, that he himself became, in these rewritings, the Passover lamb. His blood saved people. That's not what we believe, but it's important to know where these stories come from. Here's what I really want you to do this morning. Imagine you're in the crowd of people as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. Imagine you're standing on tiptoes trying to get a view. There are people up on rooftops and in trees looking out. He's coming, he's coming, I see him. He's coming, he's coming, the Prince of Peace is coming. Grab your family, get your friends. Imagine that you believe this man will turn everything around. The oppression of the Roman Empire on you as a religious people will be lessened. You can feel it. Another world is possible. You're there in Jerusalem. Or is it Minneapolis? 
with a group of people who believe that the one who is coming will change everything, bring jobs that pay a living wage, fix this awful immigration mess at the border where families are separated, will reunite children with families, will undo the Muslim ban, will denounce white terrorism and stop fanning the flames of Islamophobia. The one who is coming will end racial disparities, will restore environmental regulations, will help us save the planet. Can you imagine? It shouldn't be too hard, friends. Even though we weren't there 200, excuse me, 2,000 years ago, think back to just 11 years ago when many of us watched Senator Obama move toward being elected. And many of us, probably not all of us, but many of us had the feeling things are going to change. Our past can be redeemed. A new future will unfold. Or think just more recently in the last few months, I imagine many of you have been on social media. You've been sharing and watching videos of Alexandria Otacio-Cortez. She's the one. Did you hear? Did you hear? AOC is here. Things are going to change. This hot mess we're in, she's going to fix it. Maybe you've called another experience to mind as I've been talking, and that's just fine. My point is, I imagine that was the level of yearning and hope and joy people felt as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. But again and again in these ancient stories, we see such high hopes followed by tremendous disappointment, by loss and despair. In the Passover, the story, in that story, the question is, who's going to save us? The answer is Moses. And yet, even as Moses leads his people out of bondage and slavery, out of Egypt, out of the cruelness of Pharaoh, and toward the promised land, the people lose trust. They start complaining. Moses goes up the mountain. They're like, this stinks. This leader, what is he doing? We don't trust him anymore. Let's go to Aaron. Let's build a golden calf. That guy, not so much anymore. The same thing happens with Jesus in the Palm Sunday story. Initially, the sense is, who's going to save us? Jesus is going to save us. He's welcomed as a hero and a king, and a few days later, betrayed. The crowd turned against him, and he's murdered. The dreams of change he promised seem dead. Those ancient stories are not so ancient. They are alive right now. Think of it. After eight years of an Obama presidency, who is going to save us? Many of us thought that. He is. The country elects a man that white nationalists and white supremacists welcome into the White House. A man who is hell-bent on burning the planet down, a modern-day pharaoh. These stories, the Passover and the Palm Sunday stories, teach us something about being human and our human tendencies. They teach us that when we look to one person to be the savior, to make things better, when we put all of our little hope marbles in that one little bag, we are disappointed and we turn on our hero, we despair, we give up. There are lessons here, lessons we can learn, especially now, especially as we have a little over a decade to mitigate the worst of climate change. A decade, I've been with you all for a decade. That's how fast a decade goes. We have a tiny window of time. So the question we can ask in this moment is not who will save us, but rather what new practices do we need to engage in? The question might be how can we be in authentic relationship with different communities across culture and age and ethnicity and race? When I think about what is needed in this moment, I look to Adrian Marie Brown, activist, poet, blogger, amazing thinker and organizer, and she's really honest. She says, we're in a hot mess. Things are not gonna get turned around anytime soon. We're not doing anything that would indicate we're gonna save one another or the planet, but she doesn't despair, not at all. So she goes on to say, 
If that's what's true, and it is, we have to be in these very small, compelling experiments with one another in deep, authentic relationships. We have to make small bets together. We have to practice on the small scale what we hope to see on the large scale. We have to try new things. So what I think that means is letting go of our hero fixation and really focusing on deep relationships. And that's where this relationship with the Point family comes in. We first connected with this family when the conversation resurfaced about restoring the name of Bede Makaska, the lake we used to call Lake Calhoun. Bede Makaska means White Earth Lake. Partnering with the family and our environmental justice team, we started these community conversations. You heard about that. They're still ongoing. We had one just yesterday, right? There was one here yesterday. Places where indigenous and European descendants come together to talk about environmental justice in the future. At one of these community conversations, the sous chef catered the meal we had. Not long after that, the sous chef began renting space from us, using the kitchen and sharing healthy local indigenous food with many others in the Twin Cities. You see where this is going, a small bet, community conversations, a catered meal with an organization who realized the work we were doing and then found out they could have space in our kitchen and continue to work in our kitchen. New webs of connection forming. Through these community conversations, Minikiwakan, this Water is Sacred Summit, took shape. These webs of relationships brought us into contact with the Indigenous Youth Ceremonial Mentoring Society. We hosted a concert here a couple of years ago to help youth, Indigenous youth, go to Rome to seek an audience with the Pope to ask for the Pope to renounce the doctrine of discovery, this doctrine that has harmed Indigenous people that was sort of the roadmap for land theft and genocide. The relationship with the LaPointe family led some of us to Standing Rock, has led many of us to say we will stand with indigenous folks and others to fight Embridge Line 3. Nancy led a workshop here not too long ago about historical trauma and healing in indigenous communities. Just this past weekend, we had a conference led by indigenous people called Protecting the Life Givers, a reference to protecting indigenous women who are murdered and assaulted at higher rates than other women, and to protecting water the sacred medicine we all need. This network of relationships is growing and expanding as we listen to and prioritize black and indigenous and people of color, their voices. We're learning new practices. There are no heroes here. No one is gonna save us. It is only deep, committed, authentic relationships. So the question is not who will save us or what can I do, but rather, who are we in relationship with? The truth is, we're not gonna solve this environmental crisis by all going out and buying Priuses. And no harm, no foul if you have a Prius. That's part of the solution, part. We're not gonna solve this climate crisis by all putting solar panels on our roofs. And no harm, no foul if you'll have solar panels. That's part of the solution. Those things matter, but our salvation is not gonna come from solar panels or electric cars or this gigantic carbon-sucking machine that then sequesters it underground. Salvation, when it comes, if it comes, will come when we have a profound shift in our sense of we and who we are talking about. In other words, there is no single body, no single person that will save us. It is our collective body. It is our collective body listening and learning, singing and dancing, marching and weeping and praying and planning and protesting and birthing new ideas into being. It is that body 
that will save us. Heroes come and go, but the real power of community is always available to us. The real power of deep relatedness is always available to us, right here, right now. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming community that finds strength in the diversity of identities of all who find inspiration and comfort here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text FIRSTUNIV, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.